created live on Fireside. Hey, Danny, it's so good to see you. Oh, so good to see you too. How are you feeling? Ah, as I said, not entirely 100%, but uh, getting there. I've still got my voice back. I lost my voice for four days, but here we sit. Folks, let's get into it. Welcome to it. It's another week, and it's time for Doing It Sober Live with myself, Chris Nell. But it's important, if not more important, the ever luscious Daniela Park. I'd like to thank everyone uh, for forgiving me for being absent. I was struck with a bronchial infection, which left me without a voice for the better part of five days. But uh, my grace, we sit back here and hopefully we'll be around for a very long time. <laughs> but we have a superhero in our midst. Her name is Kezia. I hope I'm pronouncing the name right. If not, Kezia is something to the uh, effect of Ketsia. Oh, I did say Kezia, isn't it? But uh, let's get into it. all here, that timeless slogan of finding our own place under the stars. But yet, ultimately, where do we fit in in the world? And we mean not to be in like Errol Flynn, do you? But most importantly... Michael Ironside said, if you can't afford to go anywhere, you can't physically go everywhere within the confined book. And uh, even include a name like Kezia Calvert at your side, you can go anywhere while sprinkling some fun between. Kezia joins us today in DIS Live to talk about recovery, her love of storytelling, and using her superpower to help aspiring writers worldwide, amongst other bread and butter topics. Kezia, welcome. Thank you so much. A pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure to be here. I've never used this app before, so this is all uh, new for me. So, pretty cool. Yes, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your story. 60 sec addiction, past, and then till the present where you said, all right, enough is enough. There's some, there has uh, okay, so brief synopsis. My drinking didn't become a problem until I became a single parent. When my daughter was about 10 months old, she's seven now, and it kind of was condensed into those, I guess, four or five years of being a single parent. I'm now married and it quite quickly became a problem. So I've been sober since the day after Halloween, 2020, coming up awesome. on a year and a half. Yeah. And um, <laughs> now, I, now I do a lot of things, but I run my own business, which is something that was never mm -hmm. a possibility when I was in active addiction. Frightening, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't even a dream then, I don't think. So, yeah. Well, it's That's surprising how in recovery the gifts ultimately keep on giving if you get what i'm saying mm -hmm. where you initially thought i can't do this this thought of doing that venture is absolutely bloody scary but if you let go and you actually let it materialize and let it work itself out naturally be it one month six months six years you ultimately you ultimately discover it's a an adventure that takes upon a life itself and you think to yourself, if I didn't let this happen, I wouldn't have achieved what I have today. Was that something in, in that sort of experience when you began your own venture? Absolutely. It was it was an idea that came to me probably about six months into my sobriety journey where I wanted to share the gift of writing and how that impacted my sobriety journey with other people. But I didn't I wasn't able to find a community that was out there. So I thought huh, I'll just start offering free workshops. So I did that. And then the community grew. And all of a sudden, it was a, it was kind of a beast of its own, where it was like, I had to do it. You know? I see. Mm -hmm. Right, sure. Well, I mean, you know, I I've said this to get, a couple of... I feel like when I got sober, uh, Kezia, it's like you get sent these messages that are pretty much undeniable. Mm -hmm. And you 
you like for me, I tried to resist doing it sober and I didn't want to do it. And I was getting bad feedback and one visitor a month on my site. And I just can't do this and fear, 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 Mm -hmm. and a thousand forms of it. And then it just kept pushing on me and pushing on me naturally. And so I love that we get to have all these opportunities when we're sober. And it seems like you have really capitalized on all of the benefits of sobriety in such a short period of time. You, um, so do you usually work with people that are in recovery or is this writing thing open to everybody? It is open to everybody. I think I initially started growing my community, like through my, I have two Instagram accounts. One is the sobriety one and the other one's like a a writing one. And I think I initially, basically all the people I knew from when I was in active addiction were no longer in my life when I got sober. So the only people I had to build a business from (laughs) was the people in my sobriety community. So it kind of just worked out that that was the bulk of who they were. But now, because I advertised on Eventbrite and stuff, people came from like all around the world and they sort of... Mm, mm it just became something else. So now I have like a women's only meeting and then I have a co-ed and then I'm offering like book club meetups. I'm doing my first one next month for a sobriety based book. I saw. Yeah. Yeah. So that just kind of all Mm -hmm. these ideas, like you said, Daniela, they just keep coming. And sometimes you're like, the inner critic is like, Oh, I can't do that. Or like, Oh, I'm only getting this, you know, many likes or like, nobody's coming to my website. Now I kind of not that I don't look at the metrics, but I kind of try not to get too wrapped up in it. Cause I know that that's my Mm, getting out of your own way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 We just got to show up and, and do the best we can do and, and leave the results up to whoever it is. You know, I think that is sort of, the theme of what we're talking about here is belonging. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't feel like we belonged when we were drinking and using, and then we get sober and we're really lost. You know, it's very mm-hmm. difficult to feel mm-hmm. like you belong somewhere. And even online in the Instagram world, you can feel that way. And I know you talk about that. <laughs> I know you talk about that. So how do you how do you belong in this crazy world? <laughs> Give me some tips. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if there's any like tips. It's funny because my husband is really an introvert, right? And I'm kind of um, I'm a an empath and a highly sensitive person, so I need uh. I need to recharge and I need like to re-energize on my own. But I can be extroverted if I need to. But stuff like this is still out of my comfort zone. Um, but I think for me, my my sober account didn't really take off for the first like, I don't know, eight months or nine months or a year or something. And then all of a sudden something went viral around Christmas last year. And like I got like, I, I want to say like 4,000 followers in like a month. <laughs> And I was like, oh, cool. but I always posted the same content. Like, I, I don't know if you noticed, but I do actually put captions. I don't do a lot of like reels and stuff because it's more authentic to me to, as a writer, to just. Whatever floats your boat and becomes yeah. your trademark at the end of the yeah. day. It's, it's your brand. Right. But you have to think yeah. about it. You don't have to follow the, the crowd. Signify no. that signature, which is synonymous with you as a person which speaks to your personality which in this case is the writing voice you know you know the the saying as well as i and danny as well included 
if they say the pen is mightier than the sword, what then do we say about the QWERTY keyboard? Yeah. Or for that fact, <laughs> um, the ergonomic keyboard? Right. What about the microphone? <laughs> right. So whatever it is that signifies you do that because it comes to you naturally, it's quintessentially the definition of talent. So you carved yourself a very specific sort of niche, and you can already tap yourself on the shoulder if you don't mind me saying so. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a wild ride. I think for me, I, what I find about building a place of belonging or a community is when you engage with people, you find your people, you know. And mm -hmm. and I find mm -hmm. that I I try to not that I try to consciously reply to every comment, but I kind of just do because I find there's people out there. I remember how lonely it was and how I felt like nobody understood me. I felt really misunderstood. I felt really like I was drifting. So I, I dissociated a lot from the experiences of my life. And I think now when people come my way and they talk about things that are familiar to me like that, I feel like they mm -hmm. just need someone to, to listen and someone to say me too. Right. So yeah. that's yeah. kind of what I do. Yeah. Honest question from me to you. When you started your writing work, what was your initial point of interest that you wanted to put something to pen to paper what topics um so <laughs> when I originally started out um you know I'd always claimed I wanted to be a writer when I was in active addiction but I never I never finished a book right like I'd fall asleep with my drink and my book ever <laughs> like you know wake up the next morning never finished anything could never commit to a writing assignment because I would never like I see line or whatever but for me um last year i thought i had an idea for a thriller book and that's a genre that i really oh. <laughs> and this idea still lives here it's on i have the poster boards over there with all the characters and stuff like that. but thanks for that danny <laughs> thriller <laughs> yes <sighs> mind blown that idea took the back burner so then the thoughts what i've started now is a memoir and i'm Oh, I am working on my memoir slowly. <laughs> Neat. Yeah. Very good. So, for you. Well, as they say, the tortoise beat the hare. Yeah. Right. It's, it's going to come. And actually, I have um, a piece um, coming out for publication in a compilation, a, a book that's coming out later wow. this spring. There's 11 authors. It's a sobriety based book. Um, it's it's okay. a it's a 3,000 to 5,000 word essay. So mine's actually around 5,000 words, but um, I was really honored to be a part of that and to get asked to be a part of that. So that's kind of, I took a little bit of my memoir and I sort of reworked it into something, mm. small, which is hard with that word count. I don't know if you remember trying to write something that length, but it's hard to condense. Stuff into well, I've written uh, yes. bulletins for about 200 words, but nowhere near 5,000. It was already a mission to come up with 200 words in just yeah. under five minutes. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Or it's Very. hard to condense something, you know, to think about your whole sobriety journey and then to put it in something so much shorter. It's like, how do you do that? And let me guess. It's because your mind often shoots in many different directions and you try to struggle to piece everything chronologically. How far am I off the money? Oh, it's so true. I posted a reel about my ADHD <laughs> today and how it's like a squirrel because I feel like Shazam. constantly <laughs> different things going through my head and it's like, it can be exhausting at times, but it is oh, a gift. It's a gift because 
I have so many ideas and I, in sobriety, I can actually follow through with a lot of them. You yeah, know? sure. So where did you Is get right? all of your knowledge in sobriety? Sorry. I was, you know, you haven't been sober, you know, just a few years, but you have really learned a lot enough to write and help people and, and kind of do that. So how did you get sober? Like what happened? What was your final moment? And then who's been with you on your sober journey? Is this just your journey on your own or where have you been kind of seeking this inner like he said, (laughs) it's kind of, I guess I'm, it's kind of an enigma if you, when you say it like that, but I sort of, I got sober through something called the luckiest club. I don't know if you all have heard of that. There was a book, Laura McCowan published a book called We Are the Luckiest. Mm-hmm. When the pandemic hit, she set up these free Zoom meetings. And I had been trying to do, I'd been trying to moderate. I'd ended up in the ER multiple times in that year before that. And I tried some local AA meetings and I didn't really click with any of them. And when that book came around, I read it secretly at the gym. I remember reading it on my phone. And then I found a podcast that her and Holly did who wrote um, Quit Like a Woman. And I was just inspired by this whole kind of movement of women who were getting sober. And some of them weren't even getting sober necessarily because they identified as alcoholics or because they had um, a low rock bottom. They were just getting sober because it was a a lifestyle choice. And for me, it wasn't. It was both. (laughs) You know, um, but that's that's how I got sober. And then the other thing is, I think I've just always had a voracious um, propensity to learn. So when I some people avoid doing the quote unquote work of sobriety for like a long time or they're dry, you know, dry drunk or whatever. I just kind of like dove in, not necessarily to like all the trauma related stuff, but I dove into building a new life that didn't include alcohol. And that Um, sort of, that was the key. I met a lot of people for a long time. For the first few months, I went to those meetings. I kept my camera off. Like I did not, I was still drinking. I remember listening to those meetings on like Friday night with my drink and being like, okay, next week I'll try. Well, next week and next week. And finally Halloween (laughs) had been one of the biggest drinking um, nights out for me and my girlfriends. And I didn't go out that year. I'd been trying to, avoid that scene. I drank at home alone, which was like pretty much what I did for the last few years of my drinking. And I woke up that next day and it was kind of what you said, Danielle. It was like this like inner voice. Something said to me, like, it's time. It's just mm-hmm. time. You can do this. It's it's I guess the surrender that a lot of people talk about. Um and I I put it down. And that that was it. It was hard. I had withdrawal. I had to do medical kind of stuff, but that was the beginning of the end so never nice is it no no it was (laughs) it was messy but you know what it I had to because I I was pretty much blacking out every time that I drank it was there was things in my life that kept kind of adding up and I was like Mm. no then yeah well I was going to ask next going from uh the semi-positive to the positive positive Mm um was have you always been writing ever since uh, your dark days? Was that your profession of choice or was it just something of a fact of you wanted to try this and you're going for it now flat out? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, it was kind of 
both. In my head, I was always a writer. Um, when I was younger, before alcohol became a problem, I had dreams of doing that. I went to, when I first got out of high school, I went to college for um, journalism, but I only lasted like oh. six months. <laughs> and I, I met a guy, he was British, <laughs> and he said, hey, do you want to come move to England for a bit? <laughs> I'm going to shut my mic. Yeah. So I moved to England for seven and a half years. I lived in Reading and I lived in Maidenhead and mm -hmm. did that, traveled around. And uh, that whole time I was writing little pieces here and there, but it wasn't, I worked in recruitment for a long time. I kind of did that ah. human resources. Um, and then when I became a single parent, I really just worked like retail jobs. I worked in a pet store. Um, my ex didn't support our daughter at all. So it was really Sorry just, to hear. yeah, it was just up to me until I met my husband and that kind of changed. We immigrated to the States. I, I'm Canadian. So I grew up. I wanted that. to say I noticed so in your accent. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So whereabouts from Canada are you from? Yeah. Sorry? Whereabouts from Canada are you from? Uh, I grew up in Edmonton, in Alberta. Oh, Alberta. A friend of mine lives there. Oh, whereabouts? Edmonton. Oh, in Edmonton. Oh, okay. In Edmonton. Cool. Yeah. It's very, very cold there. I don't think I could ever move <laughs> back there. Like, I'm really <laughs> cold. Like, negative 35 or 40 in the winter. <laughs> Danielle is like, no. <laughs> I'm South African. I won't know. No, it's, it's not. I live in Pennsylvania now, and it's it's cold-ish here, but it's not like that. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't well, we're switching over to the fall season, and I can tell you it's terrible business. It's terrible <laughs> business. I'm not a winter guy whatsoever. I'm missing the spring and the summertime. I like the and fall, I... but, but not, the, not the winter. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. So I, I want to go back to the ADHD thing because yeah. you know you stop the drinking and the alcohol and then you have the other disorders and whatever yeah. you want to call them, um, dual diagnosis, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it, you know, and they have medications, they have Adderall, they have, I don't really know what they have, but I know that is one of them. So a lot of people, they, they don't like, or they frown on people that take Adderall because it's a stimulant or if it's a controlled substance. Yeah. So that is something I've noticed, you know, I, I, like for me, I take antidepressants, they're not stimulants, but even people I've seen have a problem with that. So yeah. it's, yeah. what has your experience been? Have you seen a lot of people kind of judging uh the mental illness area you know for some of the people yeah. you've been working with or i think um so i personally don't take any medication for my adhd um i have a past history with drug abuse as well and for me it just wasn't an option. Um, I took antidepressants off and on Lexapro over the years, but the problem was I was taking it when I was drinking and it just, it's not as effective. We all know, like <laughs> it's not doing, yeah. and it turns out I wasn't actually depressed. It was the, the alcohol. So I have other, I have anxiety issues and I have ADHD, right? Um, but in talking to other people and I have nothing against the medication and a lot of people I talk to who reach out on my posts like that, they're like, oh, um, 
my family thinks this is, you know, a step backwards, or it means that I'm not sober, or it means that I can never get sober. But meanwhile, they're having trouble functioning in their daily lives. And it's like, at what point do you want to help people and, and think to yourself, if they're not, you know, for example, if they're depressed and they and they're told by everyone in their life that they can't take those antidepressants because they would be cheating, they can't get out of bed and they can't function. What kind of a life is that, you know? Mm. Uh, so I think it's such a personal thing, and I think the stigma it around it is so um, prevalent still, but yet like masked a little bit too. Um, well, to I give think. you another example, I mean, I'm a cancer survivor, and when I went for treatment for stage three, I didn't go through the conventional route, which was chemo and, and, and radiation, mm -hmm. because I was forewarned by my specialist, if I do it, I would risk the cancer spreading, because ultimately, what does radiation do? It multiplies. Think about the atom bomb. When it mm -hmm. hits the surface, it ultimately spreads, mm -hmm. and that's the common risk with cancer treatments, even though it's the most well-known, most commercialized, and the most, um, I almost want to use the word susceptible, mm -hmm. but the most common, rather, most common. form of treatment okay. uh, for cancer, it has a 51 risk rate. So obviously wow. when I did something which is more alternative treatment, obviously frowns played out on the face and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So there is always going to be those naysayers because what's the common rule? People fear what they don't understand. Right. Let that on your mind a little bit. That's oh, why yeah. I've always said to people, what works for you works for you. And who am I as a person who might not know that conventional treatment success rate? And I mean, there's medical journals up, the, excuse my French, up the wazoo that mm -hmm. you can go and search online to go and uh, educate yourself with. Otherwise. Mm -hmm. Shut up. Well, and the other part of that, too, that I've noticed is I get a lot of kind of subliminal stigma for the fact that I didn't get sober in AA. And I, again, I think it was just a product of at the time I tried a few home groups like in my area. This was right in the height of the pandemic. And I just didn't click with any of them. Right. So for me, at least at the way I see it, at least I got sober. Right. And, and I'm still sober. Right. And I still... For me now, my the foundation of my recovery now, I still believe that at some point I'll end up doing 12-step work because I believe in it foundationally. I just haven't, it hasn't fit into my recovery yet. And so I yeah. have other things like my morning routine, like my, um, I have very strong boundaries with like what time I go to bed and what time I wake up. And it's proven to be really well helpful done. because I had no boundaries before. So, right. yeah. It's interesting. Again, what works for you, works for you. Right, right. Yeah. People but I mean, what, what's worse? Sitting in a, in a room full of people, not knocking the establishment, but you can't mesh with those people because there's personality clashes. It's like two positive sides of a magnet. It's mm -hmm. going to push away and it's going to cause more damage than what it is, it is oh. going to uh, do any good, unfortunately. And people need to realize that. And no matter how you harden or soften your approach, you know, you can polish a turd, but it will still remain a turd. And it's and not it, just applicable it, in recovery, but as it is in business and in life. Right. And it puts a lot of people off getting sober or it delays them getting sober for so long. Because, Correct. Because people will reach out. And to be honest, I would say 98% of the feedback and comments and messages I get on my social media are actually really positive. And I think 
I'm contributing towards showing that there is other ways to get sober, but I've done that by creating things like my little book club or like my writing community outlets for people to process some of the things that they went, th went through. So I don't just believe mm. like now I'm sober, I'm going to forget about all the other things. It's like, I'm very curious about why I drank. Right. Um, uh, so, you know, and honestly, huge. the best thing about that is that in the process you're staying sober because right. you're well, and you're helping others. Ding, 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 but ding, ding, ding. Meantime, you're not, picking up a drink because you're helping these other people. And I think that is a huge right. thing, not just in AA, but everywhere, you know, mm -hmm. you know, just being able to give back what was given to you and sobriety is such a gift. It's so difficult to see when you're in your disease and oh, sometimes yeah. you can't see it unless you have a medical issue or you almost die and, and mm -hmm. you're giving back. And that's and, keeping and you, you sober. You I just even, love that. Right. And you don't even often think that you have any gifts or anything worth giving when you're in that. So having discovered that now, when I talk about helping people find belonging, it's helping people find in themselves what I found in me. So mm. if I can reflect to them and be a mirror to them that it's okay to show up and to fail at something. And it's okay to make mistakes. My social media is not perfect. For example, like I don't have uh, a, a whatever kind of aesthetic to my grid or anything. And I, and then I change my mind. Cause that's my squirrel brain. Right. So I'm like, whatever <laughs> I'm people. Right. And I'm like, and I'm helping myself. <laughs> squirrel brain. <laughs> But Kezia, <laughs> you just mentioned the word fail. Do you know mm -hmm. that's that's my favorite word? Yeah. First action in learning. Yes. So you never fail. You just yeah. find stuff that doesn't work for you. Remember I said that to you, Danny? Yeah. Two years ago. First mm -hmm. action in learning. Tell me about this book club. Do you guys uh, discuss own writings, like what people have written, or do you discuss books by other authors? How does that more or less play out? Yeah. Um, so next month is actually our first one. And we're, um, I always have stacks of books. We're doing uh, Not Drinking Tonight. And she's, um, Amanda White is Therapy for Women. And she's got an excellent uh -huh. account. But um, we are going to discuss, but I'm also going to have some writing exercises for them. I'm doing this one for women. Um, in my writing community, I have uh, exercises and both basically both and they read they oh, write right. their own stuff we share it everything yeah everything um, what does the future the look like for you do you think i mean this is two years and you're doing so much what does your sobriety look like yeah um i think about that a lot now um i think about how i want my business to grow and i and what I do, my work, really, not not my business, but like what I do. I'm lucky that I had an opportunity to turn that into a business. And I'm I'm in that stage right now of hustling pretty hard, to be honest with you. I'm working mm. pretty hard right now. You guys know <laughs> what that's like. Whereas, but I... Um, Fair enough. Yeah. But I, you know, the, the next few years, you know, my family and I have plans. We want to buy a house and we... We just immigrated to the States, my daughter and I, like a year and a half ago. So it, it's it's kind of building 
the roots and the and the foundation of a life that I that I don't want to escape from. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. What that just enjoying like. the ride? Yeah, I think at some point I would like to clarify that, or maybe work with some sort of coach or something like that. But right now, it's me doing me, and it kind of um, it's just been really really inspirational to work with the people in my writing communities and to hear their stories too. Mm. That keeps me humble because it's like, we all have things that we're afraid of, like you said, the failing and whatever, but, but I see it as an opportunity. So I call, I do a workshop where we talk about failing fearlessly, where it's like the things we were afraid to do when we were drinking or the, you know, the way we, we beat ourselves up for the mistakes that we made how can we now show up and and turn those things around or do something nice mm. for someone, you know, and make them feel welcome in a space? And and that's kind of what I want to cultivate is maybe more spaces and opportunities like that. My problem is that all those ideas come in and I'm like, I want to do this now and I want to do that. My husband's like, slow <laughs> down, it's okay. And I'm like, so I have books of like my ideas. And stuff. Have you ever heard of a vision board? Yeah. I've done <laughs> I have three for this year. I have three little That was ones. just advice. That was just advice. Please, no judgment. I was just offering advice. Don't no. get her started. She'll be <laughs> Right, right. All the right. Kezia, whatever I said just now two sentences ago, scrap it. I'm an addict. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I have to really commend you. And I say this to every single guest who, who has done this show. You've got a lot to be to be proud of, you know, identifying things that put you in a positive frame of mind, that makes you proactive, that makes you want to get up and take on the new day. It's very rare that it, someone, <coughs> pardon me, of two years can identify those where it's now a fact of, now I just want to stay away from what's killing me to the why and the how resulting in the what. And we all know that uh, who is the following the function of what mm -hmm. and um, you can really give yourself a big girl for what you have done and you know what if no one else says it I'm sure you have your network of supporters you know I support everyone uh, mm -hmm. that crosses my path I'm excited to see what what's happening in your life next thank you yeah yeah I'm I'm really grateful for opportunities to speak with people like you guys because it it um, I just think that our message can reach so many people that we don't even realize sometimes. Mm. And there could be, I I'm pretty vocal about sharing when I'm sharing my story or whatever, and whether that's sure. self-promotion or not, I feel like the amount of uh, the ripple effect that you get from that is, is what is going to change this for people. And for me, like I'm breaking generational curse, not from before me, but like, I'm not passing this down to my daughter. So she was five when I got sober and, and she might one day forget about all of that. Right. She might not remember mm, right now. Mm. She remembers me drinking. And that's like part of my motivation to continue with that's what I'm great. doing as well. You know, so. Just yeah. an idea from me to you. Have you perhaps considered writing poetry apart I from prose? I have some poetry that I, I did have a poetry account for a while on Instagram called the Unmuted Collective. And there's some poetry. <laughs> I had to ask. I had to ask. I wrote a lot of poetry in early sobriety and I was going to write a whole chapbook. And then I realized 
that there was no like cohesive kind of thread through it. So I'm like, how would I publish, you know, this, but all the best poets of the beat generation were lucid. Why would you be any different? Yeah. Yeah. I, it could still come back. There's some great poets in my writing community that write like haiku and stuff. And, and for me, oh, like, neat. I'm not a numbers person. So I'm like, five, seven, five, like I'm trying to remember. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> all free verse, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> One day. Danny, I've been talking too much. You should also get a turn. <laughs> I, you know, I just love sit, sitting back and listening to people's stories. I, I've been in recovery for almost 15 and a half years and wow. it's a, it's a wild ride. It's, it just keeps surprising me more and more and more keeps being revealed. And I look back at mistakes and I'm able to really remember what that mm -hmm. consequence was of that action. Yeah. Instead of constantly, you know, break, not breaking that habit and, and going over and over and over and, and dating people that would cheat or uh, I never yeah. thought I would get married. I mean, that, that's something I never thought. Me I neither. Me neither. I literally never, I was, I got married last year. I was 39. So I'm 40 now. And I, no way. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think I would ever get, we got married in Vegas last year and, um, which was hard too for like, I'm not introverted, but I'm like, that's a lot of people. Right. And I love it. My husband loves Vegas. So that was his dream. So I'm like, okay. And we were just there in February and, uh, going to Vegas as a sober person I've been twice now and it's like next level right because if you could you feel kind of like a badass you're like I actually managed to survive in the desert where you can feel like untethered a little bit um that's that's actually the title of my upcoming essay is untethered because that that's I I didn't feel true freedom I thought I did when I was drinking but I didn't until I got sober and now what I was doing was dissociating. I thought I was just being this like hedonistic, carefree hippie, you know, having relationships with all sorts of men. Ooh, you never. And, you know, and now I'm like, oh, this is what freedom is, where I can mm. wake up in the morning and not worry that I've said anything or done anything to hurt anybody, you know, anything like that is just, it's such a good, and being able to show up, like if someone called me and needed me to drive to them, I could drive. That never gets old. I'm like, okay, I can help somebody, you know? Um, so those are the, those are the gifts that I don't think, I think it just, I mean, obviously you have 15 and a half years, like that must just, there must be constant surprises. Like you say, where you're like, oh, I can do this because I'm sober, you know, or because I didn't pick up a drink today, this door opened for me, you know? Mm. And I it's that's very that. true. I was in the doctors today and it's just the simple little things that people say you mm -hmm. can, doesn't matter 15 years, you can go off the rails and you will, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, you can be on that pink cloud, but to stay on that pink cloud is not very healthy. You no. have to feel, you know, the Mark Twain quote, you were talking about it earlier, the fear you, you can't really have courage of fear if you don't write it out and mm -hmm. feel the fear, then mm. you have right. that courage. Um, and right. life has just kept on going. And I feel like 
I've been able to really, really, I was a very talkative, very uh, in your face person. Um, not because I wanted to be the, the, the front runner, just because I had always been that way. And mm -hmm. so for me to sit back, to learn humility, to, um, just stop and pause like mm -hmm. the little kitty paws. I used to have those mm -hmm. on my window. I love <laughs> I gave it. Them to my husband too. Pause, honey. When pause when agitated. <laughs> but uh, to be able to sit back and and not say anything right away and think about my thoughts, yeah, is something very new for me, and it it helps a lot not to hurt other people, and. Mm -hmm it's gotten to be such a simple life for me, really. Yeah. I mean, it's chaotic. It's yeah. very chaotic right now. There's a lot going on. However, it's the simple things, the bike rides, the watering yeah. my plants, that stuff, stuff that yeah. you would never even think of, you know. And like you said, so and it's like, when I think about, when I was drinking, I always wanted to, be at the, the best parties and be seen with the best people and be, you know, the coolest mm. person there. And it was all a facade, right? But when I now, when I think back on that, it was because I had this like overwhelming social anxiety, first of all, and undiagnosed ADHD and all these things that I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around. So I feel like I moved out of home when I was 17. And I feel like my maturity in a lot of ways halted at that point. I always was like, wanting to be fiercely independent and separate from my family. So I left and I got a big girl job. I did that like few weeks or a few months in journalism. And I was like, see you later. I'm moving to England. Always disconnected. <laughs> my family still lives on the other side of the country, right? Well, they live in a different country, but the other side of the continent. And I was just always kind of drifting. I was traveling. I went to like, you know, 40 countries. I did all that stuff, but I always felt like I didn't belong anywhere. And so for me to mm -hmm. now find that in sobriety in myself it doesn't matter where I am I feel like I belong it's like that's what I want other people to find and I didn't have a voice to even elucidate that until I got sober so now I want people to find that however long it takes them or whatever little baby steps that they need to take like you were saying to your point about having to face some of that stuff you can't you can't get to where you want to be if you don't start doing that at some point and it can be little tiny steps at looking at things in the past but i think it's such you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't um look at the reasons why you drank you need to you need to yes. figure out who you were underneath that who you were before all of that mm. or whatever happened to you you need to find that person and bring yourself to life in in the now version you know so from being a vagabond well, to a intuitive. rebel, in other words. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> uh, it, well, thank goodness you took how, it lightheartedly. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how intuitive we are once we get sober. Like you oh, said, yeah. you were an Isn't it? empath. Were, did, yeah. did you always believe that? Or did you just start actually feeling this after you got sober? I don't think I even knew that word, to be honest with you. Um, I know the word empathy, but that's different to slightly to being an empath. And I think what happens is if you find a community in sobriety, I met people who were like me. I, I have um, one of 
I only have a few chat threads on my phone because it gets too wild. Like I can't, I can't deal with it. But one of All them, that traffic. Oh, one of them, there's six of us women and we call it the sober coven and we're all kind of a little witchy, right? And um, they are much more so. And I respect the hell out of these women because they'll like anything, any ailment. I'm like, hey, ladies, what do I do for this? And they're like, put little containers of salt in the corners of your house <laughs> and gargle <laughs> and get the crystals and i'm like okay so i do all this stuff and you want to sage your <laughs> so i do all this right but at those through meeting people like that i realized um that i was an empath and that's helped me in my relationship with my husband because i always would connect with unavailable men and i think he was the first one that came along and i think he has a lot to do with why i'm sober as well um he was my angel at that time when i he believed in me but he also didn't know about me during we lived in different countries right so he didn't realize mm -hmm. i had this big secret that i was keeping from him and when he realized he took took it in stride and he helped me get you know feel okay to get sober um i announced my one year sobriety on my facebook and his none of his family really knew about it so there was like kind of some backlash on that and i had hurt feelings over some things and stuff oh. and again we we kind of rode that wave whereas if i'd been drinking all hell would have broken loose like i would have there would have been a rift in the family right like i would have been like i don't want to talk to my in-laws or whatever so yeah it's amazing wow. what you and that's the origin of romance sticking through thick and thin yeah through high tide and low blow yeah <laughs> yeah but you don't find those people i don't think you find those people until you until you can be comfortable in your skin and for me that took putting down substances i couldn't be comfortable in my skin i was always wanting to crawl out of my skin and be someone else you know and be a mm. community situation so. i love that that makes so much yeah. sense to me yeah. Well, you deserve it. I mean, every good, every good story has a happy ending, but not just a happy ending, but there's a new book waiting to be written. And right now you're at that index, I think, mm -hmm. of that new book that's now being penned. Yeah. And, um, you know, keep on discovering, keep on finding those new things that makes Kezia tick. You yeah, know, I keep yeah. telling a lot of people who come to me for, for either career advice and or otherwise, you know, I keep on telling them, find the things that make you, you, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what is it that, that, that makes Kezia tick? Take Kezia's brain apart. What did Kezia enjoy before boozing? What did Kezia enjoy before insert whatever cataclysmic event caused mm -hmm. Kezia's thinking to go completely off the rails? And right. naturally they look at me with fish eyes. But eventually, but nat naturally, after a period of introspection, like we've just discussed, then they come back to me and say, oh, now I understand. Remember, life is a game. If you're not having fun, you're doing life wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. There's so much to be learned. And I think um, my life was so, my days were so similar when I was drinking. Maybe it was a different bar or a different person or whatever, but it was always the same. It was like Groundhog Day all the time because I would always just... <laughs> break my own heart every single day i would do something that like i was so out of alignment you know it was like groundhog day though i feel like that's what i when i think about because now there's particular events that stand out and those are the ones that i'm working through but on the, sure. the general like those you know seven or eight years that were really bad 
it could all be summed up in like one day. Like it was all, and that's why I try not yeah. to be hard on myself. And I tell people, I'm like, you Good are you, experiencing human things and you got addicted to an addictive mm. substance or what have you. Right. So you, it's, you were experiencing things as a human and, and part mm. of that mm. is learning and making mistakes as well. So. But are you also at that stage where you look can look at certain points, not all of them, but certain events in your life that played out and you can actually just, you know, laugh at yourself at how you acted in contrast previously and today you're more of a fact of I can't believe I acted this way. Yeah. <laughs> Silly me. Right. Or you can share that with others. I share pretty honestly a lot of my stories on on my Instagram and people are always like wow, like I could never, and my mom follows, she's probably watching this right now, but she follows my <laughs> social media really closely. And my, my handle is the Sober Elephant Chronicles. And the, my mom sent me the email that was kind of the catalyst the summer of 2020 for me getting sober it was called the elephant in the room, like that expression. And that's then became the name and elephants were my grandmother's favorite animals. So it all kind of like tied into this thing um and yeah so that that was like i don't know it was just it's funny how all these things kind of like lead up to that event but Mm -hmm. me looking at those events being able to laugh at them or being able to say this is what i learned from it and this is what i can share with other people or how this has made me more in alignment and more authentic to who who i am and how i want to show up in the world i was constantly Mm. embarrassed of like how I showed up or I was constantly disappointed in myself when I was drinking. And now it's like, I still do stupid things and I still, still, I'm still clumsy and I'm still awkward and I'm still whatever. Right. But I can have fun with it now and I can know that I'm just a human, you know, and your daughter gets to see the side of that. Yeah. The silly, the best part I'm sure. Yeah. Her, her and I, she was always there for me through that, but like, that's been part of the the hardest part probably is the the guilt that goes along with the parenting stuff when I was in active addiction. I can um, understand that. But now being able to rebuild something or build something from that rubble like that we had is and and kids forgive you and and things you, mm, yeah. you always have that opportunity. Of course there's things that you can never you can never undo them, right? But you can, I can create new memories with her now. I can have a house where she never sees alcohol in this fridge or in this house. She never sees me and my husband drinking. And I think that to Mm -hmm. me is more important than the stuff that happened before, you know, making amends, yes. But I think, I think it's okay. I think we're okay, you know. Living amends. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The best kind of apology is changed behavior. Right. And kids know that too. Kids are so much more perceptive than we give them credit for because sometimes even the stuff she remembers, it blows my mind that like she remembers things about when I was drinking and I'm like, she knew that those weren't just like, you know, sodas in the fridge. Like those were my like mixed vodka drinks or there was like the, you know, vodka in the freezer or there was this me falling asleep every day after school after I picked her up me passing out right things like that she she remembers but it's in like an offhand way it's not in a like mommy i hate you because you did this it's like mm, they'll mm. just be telling a story <laughs> and i'll be like what and it's usually things i remember but every once in a while i'm like this because like i said i was blacking out a lot of the times often she mm. wasn't there but 
sometimes I guess there was lapses in things that I was doing. So yeah, it's, it's, I'm so grateful God that bless. I don't have to live there anymore. Yeah. God bless yeah. A very big blessing. Mm -hmm. It's taken me almost 15 and a half years to write my memoir. And I'm, <laughs> I'm two, two chapters in. No, I've, I have, I've written quite a few chapters. They were all horrible. And so I finally got some help, got mm -hmm. the help. And she said, I'm going to charge you $13,000 and we have an agent that's interested and yeah. we'll get, we'll get money from him to finish it. I believed her. <laughs> oh and no. I'm still paying that car payment monthly to pay off the loan that I took out for these no. two chapters that no one will ever see. Maybe I should send them to you because they're pretty much written by me. Yes. She just kind of Please, placed them know. so they look good. Unbelievable. Oh, the publishing, the publishing industry, this is what gets me about that is it can, it can bleed you dry trying to get your work out into the world. And, and so when, mm -hmm. like when I was approached by this compilation, she said something in the, they sent the contract over and it said, you will get one eleventh of the royalties of the sale of the book, but not the author copies. So like, you know, I buy a bunch of author copies and I sell, so I think the retail is going to be like 1895 and I'm like, I don't even care about the one eleventh of the royalties. It was laughable at the time because I, I was like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't write it to, I never even thought I'd get this opportunity. So for me to have yeah. my writing out into the world, I was like, I would do it for free, you know? So yeah, I just, well, yeah. <laughs> I think that's also why a lot of self authors these days publish on things like Amazon because they get full royalties and they cut yeah. out the middleman completely. Yeah. Plus with the advent of zoom, Mm -hmm. you know, having things like summits and conferences and speakers talking for hours on end. What do you call that? A one-man, <laughs> one-woman show, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Whereas yeah. in advance, you can send them your product, and all you do is you basically just kick up the the, uh, the fees of transport or courier. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the, the method of having your work spread out is becoming so far and more diverse. Mm -hmm. And of well, course, the personnel will bitch and moan and say that now they're losing their salary. But uh, ipso facto, ergo, you're the reason why. Right. So, like I it or lump I, it, it's here to stay. Well, I think what what I'm doing, and I guess what you've kind of done, Daniela, is like you can leverage your social media presence once the time comes. Once you get, you know, more more chapters or what have you. That's what I said to my husband. I'm like, eventually, these are going to be the people who are reading my memoir yeah. right and he's like oh i never thought about it that way and i was like i'm not by that point you by the time i write it i would have built like a strong relationship with these people years from now right and they they're mm -hmm. gonna they're gonna be invested we're gonna they're gonna be engaged they're going to want to read that because little snippets of what i write in my captions and stuff is sometimes stuff that ends up in my in my memoir in some form or another too so to me it's all writing for the same purpose it's whether That's it's great. in a book one day you know i don't know but yeah it, it, gary v he, yeah i love gary v i don't know if you know who he is yeah yeah and you're you're documenting your sobriety your journey and mm -hmm. you're putting it out there because i i that's how I found you because i always see your instagram and i yeah. always watch your videos and your 
stuff. And I don't do a whole lot of of scrolling and watching on Instagram anymore. (laughs) You know, we get so busy, honestly. But I do look at yours and a few others. And I just love how you, I I wish I could do those videos. Like even just the simple ones, just the little things and the music. Because you'll always have those and you could put them on TikTok and Twitter and mm-hmm. Facebook and everything. Even later, that yeah. quote yeah. from your book, when it becomes a bestseller, you'll be able to shoot out and say, this is from 2022. And it's just, yeah. there's so much opportunity. It's so different these days. We oh, can yeah. make ourselves not famous, but we can build our brand so easily if we want to hard work every day yeah it is hard that's what i when i said about the hustle i I don't it's not necessarily just the post but there's a lot of engagement there's a lot of um energy exchange because you put yourself out there every day and when you when people realize that you're putting out content that's helpful they'll come to you for help so then word gets around that you know this person helps or i go up on the explore page a lot and then someone will reach out about something. And I've, I've had, like I said, 98% of those have been really positive um, engagement. And my following is uh, 87% female, which on my old Instagram account, how I met my husband through Instagram was like, I want to say 99% male following, right? So to me, wow. I a brand uh, for myself based on something authentic and something genuine, right? Because yeah. I'm like... I looked at the those uh, a few a few months ago, and I was like, because I thought to myself, I thought I don't get creepy messages very often or anything like that. <laughs> Knock on wood, because now it will happen, <laughs> you know. But, <laughs> yeah. Authentic, living that authentic <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah. Were you the ghostwriter? No, Chris, shut up. Sorry well, about that. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's been so awesome to have you on yeah we would love to see you back after a memoir and check back in with you you're on your way and you're not looking back beyond the stars and it's 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 a pursuit of happiness and you're on it and i know what it feels like and i love that excitement in that you know that time that you're in right now really enjoy it and just take it all in. Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Time. Oh, I love that. Oh, you guys, thank you. <laughs> I will Only definitely, pleasure, darling. I would love to come back. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, this has been really Remember cool. what the large print giveth, the small print taketh away. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it has been amazing. Thank you guys so much for this opportunity. And that was Doing It Sober Live with Kezia Calvert. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back again next week, Tuesday, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Please hit us up with those questions for our guest. If you've got anything lined up for us, we'd love to hear from you. Until we speak again next week, look after yourself and God bless.